Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of True Chat, a community podcast, a May music production, and I am your host, Joy of Joyful Sounds, and this is episode 13, entitled Inglewood Residents' Commitment to Responsibility. What does it mean to take 100% responsibility? And what am I actually taking 100% responsibility for? What does it truly look like? For me and my circle of influence, what does it mean? We talk about taking 100% responsibility and being accountable and holding ourselves accountable, holding others accountable. It's almost like we throw it around. But what does it mean? What does it really look like? I'd like to share a perspective practiced by the Conscious Leadership Group as to what it means to take 100% responsibility through the lens of it being a conscious commitment to even begin the process of reaching the pragmatic as well as a organizational resolution. And here's the commitment. I commit to taking full responsibility for the circumstances of my life and my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. I commit to support others to take full responsibility for their lives. It's opposite or not taking 100% responsibility. I commit to blaming others and myself for what is wrong with the world. I commit to be a victim, a villain, or a hero and take more or less than 100% responsibility. During this week's discussion, you'll hear how taking 100% responsibility shows up as our guests share their stories. You'll hear from one of Inglewood's residents, Omari Moore. you also hear from Pastor Jay of Canaan Community Church in Inglewood, Chicago. He's also the author of Church Forsaken, a practicing presence in neglected neighborhoods. You'll hear from Pastor Cherry of Canaan Baptist Church in Inglewood as well. You'll actually get to hear each of these voices again in other interviews where you'll hear who they are in and around um, the Inglewood community in a lot more depth. But I wanted to bring and pull these voices together to create a collective voice on what it means to take 100% responsibility within the communities that we live and serve. And so without further ado. Um, so I started substitute teaching. Substitute teaching at that time, we just had to have a degree in anything, and I didn't care. And so yeah. my mom got me into that because she taught school for many years. And I actually fell in love with working with kids. Like, you know, I tell people all the time, you know you called to something when substitute teaching actually was enjoyable. That's like the worst job ever. And uh, that's what people do. Oh man, that's it. That is not a career people path. With degrees do for backup. <laughs> I know you come home <laughs> and you be dreading it because you remember how you taught, you taught, uh, how you treated your substitute teachers. But uh, but I was really good at it, man. I had kids. I'm into hip hop. We'd be rhyming, doing all types of stuff, and I just really enjoyed it. So I went up, uh, back to school and got a master's degree in education and started working for CPS. 
And the school I ended up in was at Harvard Elementary right there on 75th and Harvard. So I was back in Inglewood, uh, teaching school, um, still with my moms, ended up getting married then. We moved over to Bronzeville, and then my mindset went right back to, okay, how do I move on up? You know, so my wife was in business. I was in education now. We had our first daughter. Uh, but I was still coming to this church. I was coming to this church because my mom was, this is where my mom was going. And uh, I got connected with the youth when I was going back to school and all that stuff because it was my thing, working with kids. So I started working with the youth here. I'm teaching at a school here. You know, I eventually tell my wife, man, maybe we should move, move ourselves over there, man, everything over there. And she was like, oh, really? Well, when are you moving? Because I ain't going over there because she wasn't from the wood. You know, <laughs> she's like, I'm good. And I like where we at. Um, so I did that, but we didn't move. I, I kept working with the youth here, teaching at the school, uh, you know, living with my, my wife, raising my family. Four years into it, man, this youth ministry here was crazy, right? Like, we, I started off with, like, six kids. We had, like, 60. Like, we having hip-hop services on Friday nights. Like, it's just going. Like, it was dope, man. We had kids from the neighborhood. Started the after-school program. Like, we doing homework. We having concerts. We, I mean, it's, it's blowing up, right? Like, mm-hmm. DJs on turntables up in the school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm like, this is dope. I'm loving it. I'm teaching school. I'm raising my family. I got my little thing I'm doing, like, in the neighborhood. I'm loving this. Uh, well, what I wasn't peeping was the church in and of itself wasn't doing that well, right? Like, you got 60 kids, and it's only about 100 members. So you, you walk in on Sunday, and half the church is, like, kids, mm-hmm. um, which not necessarily giving you no money as a church and mm-hmm. not necessarily, like, helping it grow because you don't have really no adult leadership. So 2006, man, the pastor came to me and was like, man, I see what you're doing with the youth ministry. I see how you're doing this thing, man. I think you should lead this church. And I was like, what? You crazy, man. I ain't, I ain't trying to be no pastor. Like, anytime somebody's serious about, like, their faith or, like, doing something good, y'all think they're supposed to be a happy <laughs> pastor, you know? I'm good on that. And uh, he was like, no, nah, you don't understand. I'm already leaving. I already got plans to go. And so the, the deal is either you can take this or I'm going to tell them this, this church closed and they need to find somewhere else to go, including your 60 kids. So he basically dropped the ultimatum on me, like either take this or everybody gonna know it was your fault that it all blew up. So I went and talked to my wife and I'm expecting her to be like, oh, he crazy, skip that, we out of here. And she looked me in my eye and said, maybe you need to do it, baby, let's do this. (laughs) I'm like, what, come on. So now the architect turned teacher and turned pastor, right? Like without no formal training, I mean nobody's seminary or anything like that, just being who I was. But of course, there's that whole wrestle with, you know, I've been in church, I know what a pastor was like and what a pastor's typically like, and so am I supposed to transform into that? Because now I gotta lead adults. The, the youth is like, just be you. I had dreadlocks down my back, you know, that was me. So then I was like trying to figure out how to transform into the pastor that I thought the church needed. And somewhere along the way, uh, I kind of got smacked in the face with, uh, you are the kind of pastor the church need. Like, I ain't, I, I ain't lead you to this so you could change into something else. And, um, yeah, we had quite a few incidents, man. I talk about a lot of them in the book, right? One where somebody came in those doors right there, and um, one of the youth that was in the church actually got beat up on the steps right there at the church on Sunday morning, Mother's Day. I'm about to preach. And the men in the church run out on the steps and start boxing. Like It's like a straight melee between the church and the hood, right? And um, that day, I'm like, man, what is going on? Something got to give. Like, we ain't here trying to play church or whatever, and the rest of the hood, like, skip them. So what are we doing wrong? And that's when I realized, I was like, we can't be in here playing church and, uh, and not recognizing what's going on around us. 
And um, we started that journey. So we actually not Canaan Missionary Baptist Church anymore. We now Canaan Community Church. And um, we went on that journey of like, what does it look like to be a church? Because, you know, one of the greatest commandments, you know, from the Bible is uh, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Right, love God with everything you got and then love your neighbor as yourself. And I start asking the question, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, don't that mean we should love our neighborhood too? <laughs> and um, you know, people's like, yeah, actually that makes sense, Pastor. So we started really figuring out like what it looked like. We started being outside more, skip all this like Sunday morning stuff. We started having stuff church outside. We started uh uh just hanging with our neighbors on the porch, playing cards, just trying to get to know people. I remember shooting dice with some some dudes on 54th uh, and, and Polina. And, man, that was probably my biggest lesson I ever had as a pastor, man. Them dudes taught me, you know, they asked me what kind of car I drove. And, like, you know, you out here pimping the people for money. I know who you are all that. They didn't believe I was the pastor. I mean, I was 26, you know, and they like, you ain't the pastor of that church with the steeple and the, the white Jesus on it. Like, you ain't the pastor <laughs> of that church, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I am, gee. And, uh. Ultimately, man, I just, I just, I just learned really quickly that um, I had been led to pastor this church because I was the person that this church needed. Like I ain't grew up listening to, you know, uh, Walter Hawkins and and gospel. Man, I grew up listening to Wu Tang, <laughs> Nas, and like that's who I am, right? And like so, when I think about how to engage, I'm not being somebody else. I'm just being who I am. And uh, it's been a journey, right? Like, our church is completely different from when I took over in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a good thing, right? We are a church that loves our neighborhood, wants to be partnering with anybody that's doing good work. That's how the Kusanya thing happened. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, working with the Resident Association, working with anybody that want to see good work done. Um, when, they, when, they, when they tell you about a church, they're going to say, yeah, Canaan, they, they, that's love. They, they respect us and they recognize like the church's responsibility is to be in the neighborhood and partnering and being a part of what's going on. Uh, so even the title of my book comes from that story. Um, I would talk to people about my neighborhood and they'd be like, man, ain't nobody trying to go to Inglewood. And I was like, why people always think this is a God forsaken place? Like God ain't here. That's crazy. God is here because God is in us. So what kind of craziness is that? So in my mindset there, are no God forsaken places. And then just because I'm a pastor, I wouldn't have said there's no, there's, there's only church forsaken places. And I said that because there's like 300 and something churches in this neighborhood. <laughs> okay. And most of them locked up at bars and gates all day long and ain't doing nothing with or for or um, the neighborhood. And so I'm like, it ain't God's fault what's going on around here. It's God's people that's lazy and ignoring what's going on. And we got to get up. And so. that's all God's people, not just Christians. So. One thing that surprised me, though, um, as I learned about the history of Chicago and whatnot was just the amount of segregation, you know, that was, you know, the history of segregation and how disinvested communities like Inglewood, the South Side, are compared to the North Side. And so that's something I'd always noticed as a child was how governments and people would have no issues in putting their money and time and resources into people who are already doing well, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they don't want to spend their time trying to help folks who were uh, who are struggling. Like, I remember being little, I remember reading this article in the newspaper, and it was so wild to me. It was, uh, the you know how they be funding schools and stuff with property taxes or whatnot. So 
the I'm from Cannes, Ohio. The city of Cannes decided that I don't know what year this was, maybe 2003, 2004, whatever. But they said that they were going to give more funding to schools that were doing that were meeting their target, while they would decrease funding for schools that were not meeting their target. And as a child, that shit didn't make sense to me because I'm thinking. Look, this is America. You know, folks, your education system, we should be, all of our kids should be able to read. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had grown up, I had spent the 90s in Ghana. So when I came to the States, I had this whole mythical idea of what the United States was because that's what it projects across the world. You know what I'm saying? Land of milk and honey. Um, great education system, great healthcare system, all that shit. And I remember coming and I was in third grade and kids were struggling reading certain words and it was the black kids. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Like in my head as a kid, I was like, this don't make no sense. I thought, yeah, you that's know. Yeah, what I heard. Yeah. Right? Isn't that funny? Because here, that's funny that you said in my experience here, I went, I went, I went to school. I went to Holy Angels. Mm-hmm. from kindergarten to eighth grade here and then after that I went to a boarding school called Piney Woods Country Life School a lot of people thought that Piney Woods because it used to be back in the day it was a reform type school for bad kids mm-hmm. but by the time I got there it was not it was a college prep school where you had to write an essay and be accepted into this high school Okay. and in the high school that high school I was was my first experience with African people from across the world. African people from the continent. I met uh, Ethiopians, South Africans, uh, from a a lot of different West Africans. Mm -hmm. Most of them were from South Africa and Ethiopia though. Okay? Mm -hmm. And when I asked, when I looked at them, first off, they were ballers. They were rich. Mm -hmm. Their whole education system, and as a matter of fact, they kind of looked down on black Americans. Yep, that's something I dealt you with. You know what I mean? Ghana, yeah. And my whole thing, I remember my ignorance going to them, going to one of the girls, Tessa Dinia, was one of my, in ninth grade, one of my best friends, ended up being one of my best friends. And I used to look out for her. We kind of, we, 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 we swapped, you know? Mm-hmm. I was uh, like a protector for her. And she would help me out uh, with academics, that's you know, up. and teach me a lot about African culture. And also uh, integrated me in with a lot of the other uh, Ethiopians. And I remember my ignorant ass going and saying, damn, um, how come y'all got this money? How come y'all ain't helping the part of the country that's starving? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, we get these pictures with these big bellies, flies Mm -hmm. flying around their faces and shit. So I'm just saying that to say that when are we going to be, now that we, we are being exposed to truth, we're seeing truth. Now, here's right in my face at the age of 13. It was a big-ass culture shock for me because that's not what they, the uh, perception that they taught. And when I say they, I mean the powers that be, the people that control media. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we are intaking or hearing or knowing from about other countries, about anything outside of where we are. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was big for me. But when are we going to get to a point where... Know thyself so that when shit don't make sense to you, you asking the right questions and now you, you're being led to the right place to look to find those answers. Exactly. So. Yeah, you know, I think 
and it, that makes me think of um, MLK's one quote. I don't know about the integration and into a burning house sort of thing. And I feel as though what happened was black folks had that great sense of self because we had to rely on each other. But at the same time, we were still trying to get and be included into the white sort of superstructures, white supremacist power powers that be. We wanted to have that power as well. And so what you see happening is folks started to integrate you know what I'm saying? Instead of having our own schools, we had to rely on the state and the cities and all that sort of stuff. And then we're getting their textbooks and all that sort of shit. And people just start losing sight of who they were. You know what I'm saying? Because we want to be in the suburbs with the white folks because they got the good schools and all that sort of stuff. So you got neighborhoods like Inglewood that used to have tens of thousands of people of many different backgrounds and I'm thinking more like class wise so yes. like working class middle class the wealthy folks all mixed that's how a lot of our communities used to be but what happened was you know what what Kanye West say he, he gonna get some money and leave you ask for a white girl mm-hmm. sort of situation and that's what happened in our communities folks left and they left everyone else behind now a lot of folks end up going to the suburbs, right, thinking that shit's going to be sweet, but then their own children are dealing with all types of racism and that lack of knowledge itself because they ain't around other black people, you know what I'm saying? They the only black kid, all that sort of shit. And then, like you said, the media keeps on putting these images into our head of what, what it means to be black, uh, what it means to be African, and all that sort of stuff. And it's a way to just downplay our own self-confidence and our self-esteem as a people. So, yeah, you know, shit is fucked up. And I think, like, I think, like, what's really missing is, is that there is that that community, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that sense of togetherness. Reaching past divisions. Because like you mentioned, you know, there are people who've been in the trenches, you know what I'm saying? And they have so much knowledge to offer. But folks who might, who have never experienced that aren't interested. Because they've been taught to believe certain things about people who are revolutionary minded, you know what I'm saying? Why did you choose to do the work? What, what, what's the... The real read, like the real oomph, mm-hmm. as to why you chose to do this work this way and in this community. Well, now I'll be honest. Um, I moved to Inglewood in 2015, and it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to. So I'll be honest. I was. Uh, I had been working through AmeriCorps and I was actually, I became unemployed. And I remember it was like uh, August or something, my lease or September, my lease was going to be up and I was staying in Hyde Park. And if people know about Hyde Park, it's pretty expensive, especially now. And as a person who wasn't working, I was like, huh, you know, 
I, I don't really have. I only had a little bit of money saved up. And I was like, I might have to move to Inglewood because the program I was doing through AmeriCorps, we had already started doing the work, um, which is around, which is what Neighborscapes was doing. So I ended up moving into one of our uh, original properties and I started to become more involved in the community. Um, so that's how I ended up in Inglewood. But in regards to why I care about black people, that's, 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 that's just the history. Um, my parents, uh, for me, like every time I think about who I am as a person, I always start off talking about my parents. Seeing uh, racism straight on, uh, growing up trying to figure out which way to go because this is all you see got to think about it. One thing about our children is we got to let them see something outside of what they actually see every day. Mm. It's not a bad thing to see what's going on, but they need to see there's something better than this. But if we don't give it to them, if we don't show them, how are they going to see it? That's that generational gap that's being talked about a lot and where to place blame. Now me, I'm not a blame place or a finger pointer. Mm -hmm. I feel that everybody, you know, everybody is accountable for all. We, we are collective. So 100% responsibility, and which will bring me to a lot of us, I find that it really don't understand what it means to take 100% responsibility. So before I get into the next big topic uh, that I'm excited to talk about your spirituality, what does 100% responsibility mean to you? 100% responsibility means to me is that I'm willing to take, take the hit, if you will, even though I didn't do it, but I'm willing to take the hit. And the reason why I say I didn't do it because I don't know everybody's story. I don't know what everybody went through. All I can tell you is my story. I can tell you what I went through. I can tell you the challenges I had growing up. But now, as black men, we need to take the responsibility and say, okay, even though I'm not the guy that may have done it, but I'm the guy that should take 100% responsibility to fix it. Yeah. See, what our problem is, nobody want to take that because nobody wants to fix it. Nobody wants to be that guy to say, hey, I'll do it. I want to see our young men better. But then they also have to see the older men unified. They never see that. They don't see us coming together to say, you know, the biggest thing, uh, uh, Monica and I talk about it all the time, the biggest key that we have that's hurting us is everybody wants to be the boss. Somebody has to stop and say, I'll be the follower. I'll do whatever needs to be done in the background. But everybody wants to be the chief. And somebody got to say, it doesn't matter about titles. Even with me, uh, at the Cady Baptist Church, I'm not into Pastor Frederick Cherry. My, my daddy named me Frederick Cherry. And at the end of the day, I want you to understand the humility of who we are. We, we want to let people know, you can come in and talk to me. I don't want you to think that I'm this guy that got armor bears around me. I can't talk to you. I can't walk the streets. I want to be that guy to help. But I want you to also understand when we come out to help, be receptive. The biggest problem is they don't trust anybody. That's the biggest problem. They don't trust us. You know why they don't trust us? They don't trust us because we're the type that you don't know what we're going to do from one day to the next. And what that, does that mean when you say that? Here's the thing. You can come in here all day and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring this to the community. But we never see it. Think about our aldermen. How many times do you see them before election time? Just a couple, right? It's some of them I've never heard of. I'm not talking about in this area, but I'm just talking about in general. Mm -hmm. Never heard of. Folks running for office, never heard of them. 
What do you do when you see on TV? I'm such and such voting, running for this. I'm running for never seen them before. So where were you at prior to now? So here I've had conversations with uh, community leaders and I've mentioned my story. What I said was because I'm I'm from Chicago, I've been here, I've left at the age of 13, went to school down south and pretty much my life developed down south. Mm -hmm. I moved back about two years ago now, it's two years and three months. Literally, I moved back 2018. Um, and I moved back and I watched. I watched the community to see who, what, and where, what, why. Um, and then I started to make my moves. And as I uh, went in and, and as I'm talking to, and as I was talking to you before, I'm sitting around tables with people that look just like you and I. These are in the conversations that we hang about 100% responsibility can never sit on either one of them. It always has to continue to be passed around. I find that before we get to a point where we are trusting others, we, we trust in ourselves. And my thing is, we have to trust ourselves before we can trust someone else, even someone else that looks like us. So what is it, and this will bring me back to the spiritual piece, what is it do you think that we're uh, missing internally, individually, that we seem to take what just comes to us? Healing. Let's talk about that. Simple. It's real simple. Healing. The biggest key is having yourself healed. What we fail to realize, uh, story of David in the Bible. David had some challenges. David was the apple of God's eye, right? David did all this good stuff. But David had some challenges. But until David found himself in a position to ask God to just create in him a clean heart and renew the right spirit within him to help him be a better man because he had fallen short. Our problem is even as men, because I like to talk about men, because men is I don't care what you all say today and how to society, I'm old school. I believe the man sets the precedence of how we really move forward. And if the man does his job, everything else used to fall in place. That's just how I feel. People don't have to agree, but that's cheriology. At the end of the day. <laughs> I say uh, joyology. Yeah, Give me I mean, some. I mean, it, you, it, we it we are people. Okay? It, it, I thought it, I was it, the only one to say no, that. It, it is what it is. I because love you got you got to think about words. it. We, <laughs> we seriously don't think about healing because we want somebody else to provide healing. Yes. Uh, what, we, what we've done here so far uh, uh, has been on my heart for a long time to have a class on depression. Give you a good example. We don't know how to deal with people with depression because we think prayer is all we need. No. That person needs some help. And you hear this? This is coming from a pastor at a church, a Christian church. Yes. Canaan Baptist Church. Yes. This, you, you, But the, the craziest thing is, I believe in prayer. I believe prayer can change yes. things. Yeah. But if you internally are not healing, or if you internally, all of my praying can help me, but really, will it really help you? Because you don't think you have or need help. You think because of the depression, that's just where I am. This is where I want to be. I'm dealing with a friend right now who's literally at a point in her life where she just don't want to live anymore. Period. There's no, that's her, that's her whole thing right now. And I'm trying to learn, how do you deal with them? Because I can't just say, well, let's pray. I got to help them, help themselves. 
I shared with her just this week. I said, you know, because it's all about people. All her problems stem from people. And I say, you got to get to a point where you're okay being by yourself. Got to look at it. A lot of times we, we lean on people. And what does people normally do when you lean on them too, too much? Or when you think that that's the person that's supposed to make you better? They need relief. Amen. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you got to say, let me, let me help me. Once I can help me, then I can help you. But if I, can, if I don't think I need help, I can't help you. So let me tie this spiritual piece back into uh, the trust from the community. Um, I talk a lot about my trust with uh, my lack or how I lost trust within the church. One of the things that, um, that really made me want to have an interview with you is we talked about, you, you made a comment about the church, the building, um, uh, real estate. For me, I see this as being, this, this is prize. I see churches as being uh, a place of anoint, anointment, blessing, it's space, a, place, um, average person. So for us to not utilize the space because we are not Christians or we're not religious, I think is uh, detrimental to our community. We're losing buildings. We're losing places that were specifically designed for our well-being for our safety, for our, the things that you, for our healing, the things that you're talking about. I find that there have been energies, people, reverends, pastors, uh, priests that have taken, uh, and, it, and it took turned a lot of people away. Turned a lot of people away. But can, can I help? Uh, the biggest key when you made that comment is, the Bible says put not your trust in man. Our purpose is to get the healing, get the information. And then we're supposed to take the information and we move on. But what we messed up with in the past, all of us, we thought that man that stood behind that sacred desk, that preacher, that priest, that prophet, that minister, we thought he was perfect. Mm -hmm. We thought that man had everything together because when he stood up there and talked that Bible, he had it all together. Even when he reached out in the community, he had it all together. But nobody really knew all the stuff. All the baggage he had. That was the miss, the uh, I won't even say that. That was the issue that I'll say that we had growing up. Because until we saw them fall, we didn't understand. Many people left church because we saw his personal life. Saw that he had some faults. Saw that he messed up. But we didn't think he was supposed to do that. That wasn't my story. Most of them. Yeah, but Because what, I, what I've done, <laughs> I mean, some stuff is personal. Some stuff is totally different. But what I've seen, what I've seen when I talk to people in the community about why they don't go, it's always about the man. It's always about the church not doing their job. But a lot of times the church can't do much in the community unless the community allows them to. The community has to open up too. We we've reached out to this community so many times, just just from the block. We've gone down and around this area to get folks to come to things just because we want to be a help to the community. And a lot of them don't show because of the past. And like in the past, for me, my story is this. Um, it's false teachings that pastors do. It's not even about, I'm not even concerned about their lifestyle or their life or what they do. But for a pastor or a priest to come in to tell me or to make me feel that I am wrong for being who I am, for whatever reasons, or make me think or have me or teach me and uh, say it's coming from the Bible, which is still written by a man. That's a no-no. 
That's not what Jesus did. Here's the thing. Jesus talked about love yeah, all day long. Yeah. But here's the thing. The Bible also says, study to show yourself approved. Where we need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what you have to do. Because everybody that stands up at that sacred desk is not who you think they are. I agree. <laughs> I'm not even perfect. But at the end of the day, I'm held accountable for what I do up there. When I'm here by myself, I like to be here by myself on my day by myself so I can have a connection with God to help me to be a better pastor, a better preacher, and a better man because that's what helps me. But if I never say I got false or I messed up, that's my problem. The biggest thing is you got to have a relationship with anybody in leadership. Even with you doing what you do right now, if I have no relationship with you, I don't understand your cause. If I hadn't talked to you ahead of time, I wouldn't understand what this was all about. All I know is what Monica introduced me about. Sent me the link and said, here's what she wants to do, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, I got to have a relationship to understand. Listening to that, that piece before we started got me on a whole different level. I came here prepared and I was ready on a different <laughs> level. Now I'm like, oh, this is even better. I can get comfortable. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's about healing. I don't care how we... Healing starts with yourself. Yes, taking 100% responsibility, seeing it as a commitment, a commitment to self first, and then the people in the environment around you. Is taking 100% responsibility doing more than what you can or just what you can? Taking 100% responsibility is also not taking 101 percent responsibility or 110 which can be even worse than taking less yes listeners the chat is opening up true chat is opening up to all inglewood residents to share your thoughts and ideas and opinions on the effects of this that this virus is having on our social our, our physical and mental well-being and the needs in our communities that are not being met so we're looking for workable solutions and resources that we do have available to get us through these times. Thank you all for tuning in. You have listened to episode 13 of True Chat. Be sure to tune in next week as we return with Women of Inglewood Speak Out. I am your host, Joy of Joyful Sounds, signing off and out. So until next time. Peace.